0: Hello baseball fans and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there is no offseason and we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year and I'm doing this one on the 15th day of February 2018. I'm your host Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Do you know where I am right now? I am currently at the site of Gilbert Lindsay Community Park. There's a skate park, there's a soccer field, there's a baseball field here in Los Angeles, California. Right off of Vernon Avenue, right off of, uh, right not far from the uh, Los Angeles Coliseum. I've done a podcast from here before a while ago. The reason why this is an interesting place in terms of baseball in Los Angeles is right around where I'm standing, there's, I'm kind of looking over, there's a health center. And that is the site of Los Angeles Wrigley Field. There's a uh, Little League field, not far from where I'm actually looking at right now, which is named after Wrigley Field. But there was a Los Angeles Wrigley Field that was owned by the Wrigley family. And this was the home of the Los Angeles Angels minor league team, Pacific Coast League team. And it was also the first home of the Los Angeles Angels major league team. The team currently called the Los Angeles Angels, or maybe Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I can't keep track. I prefer the name the California Angels. But this was where they played. And also a lot of movies that took place it you know, with baseball uh, were shot here because it was a stadium near Hollywood. And the the Angels played here. And uh, the TV show Home Run Derby was shot here, which is a very bizarre show, which is just kind of death to watch now at the time. It was a chance to see home run sluggers, you know, taking their cuts. There was a hitter's ballpark. Ty Cobb threw out the first ever pitch of an Angels game here. And, you know, the franchise where Otani is trying out as a pitcher and a hitter right now, or Mike Trout's going to play, their links are to right here. I really haven't been able to find any sort of mark or anything like that remembering that, but there very well may be. The fact that part of the Little League is named after Wrigley Field, the Little League Field here, is, I, I suppose, a tribute. But um, right now, there's some there's a skateboard park, and there's some kids on the skateboard here, and there's some people sitting by the uh, benches here, and a couple of uh, homeless tents that you're starting to see all over the place in Los Angeles right now is here. And uh, as I was doing stuff in L.A., I decided what better place to sort of stop and do a podcast than paying tribute to where the Angels played. I may have talked about this. I can't remember if this was a subject. I'm not going to dwell on this location for the entirety of the podcast. But when L.A. was a hot property in terms of putting a major league franchise here, and baseball was not ready to expand. It really looked like one of two teams were gonna make the move here. It looked like either the Athletics were gonna move here from Kansas City, with Kansas City being a temporary stop, or the Washington Senators. And the Senators were the team that were the best bet. In fact, LA was making a deal with the Senators during one of the World Series, it was, I think it was either 53, 52 or 53, when the Dodgers got wind that L.A. was uh, playing footsie with the Washington Senators, and the Dodgers said, you don't want the Senators. Take take a a marquee franchise, and the deal with the Dodgers came around. And the Dodgers wanted to build, of course, they wanted to build a stadium for the Dodgers in Brooklyn. They wanted to build a dome stadium. They wanted to get out of Wrigley, uh, out of Ebbets Field, which was falling apart. And for all the romanticism of Brooklyn and what it meant to the team and everything like that, they had terrible attendance. I mean, if you remove the romanticism of Brooklyn and the, what I call the, the tyranny of the baby boomer memory of what the Dodgers meant to Brooklyn, they weren't drawing. They were having terrible attendance, as were the Giants at the polo grounds. And a big reason was, Ebbets Field was small, it was falling apart, and a lot of people didn't want to go to a really inconvenient-to-get-to neighborhood. And people would rather watch it on TV. And back then, the gate was the primary way to make money and to, to have a success. So they wanted a new stadium. They wanted it in Brooklyn. If they couldn't have it in Brooklyn... Hell, they'll have it in Los Angeles. Now, when the Dodgers came out here, they took one look at Wrigley Field and said, no, we're not going to play here. We're not going to play here. It's an old, dilapidated, tiny stadium. We're not going to leave Ebbets Field to go to this. And so they went, actually, not far from where I'm standing right now. They went to the L.A. Coliseum, which was ridiculous to play baseball there. But they played there, and they played the 59 World Championship seasons uh, in the L.A. Coliseum before building the, the stadium on the mountain in Chavez Ravine, which is Dodger Stadium. But I can't help but wonder if the Senators or if the A's moved out here, and it was the L.A. Senators or the L.A. A's, or whether they would just adopt the, the name of the Angels moving out here the way that the Browns changed their name to the Orioles when they moved to Baltimore. Because, you know, the the LA senators that, that wouldn't, you know, that does have the same ring to it. If they would have said, yeah, this is good enough for us. This is good enough for us. And that Wrigley Field here would be the home of whatever major league, let's just call them the Los Angeles Senators. And that this would be a beloved stadium. When you think about it, the only thing that separates Wrigley Field in Chicago and a lot of others you know, Wrigley Field and, and Fenway the only thing that separates them from Scheib Park or Forbes Field or Crosley Field or Ebbets Field or any of those other parks is the fact that those other parks were torn down They were willing, you know, the Red Sox wanted to move out of Fenway Park, they would have torn down Fenway, the Cubs wanted to move out of Wrigley Field, they would have torn down Wrigley But they happen to survive. And so we look at them with great romance and everything like that. But that romance could very easily have been Forbes. That romance could have been Scheid Park, Connie Mack Stadium in Philadelphia. And it could have been here, where I'm standing. The romance of Los Angeles Wrigley Field, home of the senators who went on to great championships here, led by Harmon Killebrew and everyone like that. Well, anyway, that's enough of a history lesson. Let's talk about the present. As I'm standing here honoring the past, as I've said before, those of you who've floated down the River Sully in the past, you know that one of the things I think makes baseball so unique is it's an experience of which the past, present, and future seem to be happening simultaneously. So here I'm honoring the past, but I'm gonna talk about the present and the future. you um, signed with the Cubs. Now, I'm going to bring that up for this reason. Uh, the, this has been a painfully slow free agent period. And it's been so slow that bringing up collusion is not outlandish. It's not crazy. I don't think that it's the main factor. Um, I, I, I will concede that there could po- there is the possibility of that, especially when you see some teams that could very clearly use some of the players who are available. But I maintain my original stance that it's more of a reflection on the crappy collective bargaining agreement that the players agreed to and the result of it. That if you accept a uh, qualifying offer and have a draft pick attached to you, teams are valuing those draft picks. So obviously a pitcher like Lance Lynn... Is unsigned right now, and you can make a case of why is he unsigned because the teams are trying to squash it this or that. Or the other thing, well, you know, you could take a picture like Lance Lynn, you could take a picture like Alex Cobb, and both those. If you sign them, you have to surrender a draft pick, and you could say, are we going to surrender? Would we rather have a first, you know, a, a good solid draft pick, or a pitcher in their thirties? Who, have, who has had Tommy John surgery. Now, the fact of the matter is, there are a bunch of contending teams who if you insert a Lance Lynn or you insert an Alex Cobb into their rotation, the rotation is instantly better. Not that either one of them are superstars or going to be uh, getting a Cy Young award, but they're quality pitchers if you put a quality pitcher into your rotation especially an innings eater like Lance Lynn you know there are plenty of teams right now so you know if the Brewers or the twins inserted Lance Lynn into their rotation you could be talking a playoff team the Angels right the team that who had their birth here who are thinking about a six-man rotation and have had last year had a horrific rotation with tons of injuries I look at them and say, if you take a pitcher like Lance Lynn, who you can write in ink that he's going to throw 200 innings, that can't do anything but help your team. But the metrics are there. Do you value the draft pick more than you value the player who can help you right now? And if no team is bidding against you, if you've made an offer and no team is bidding against you, you can honestly ask the question, well, why would I raise my bid if no one else is making an offer? Now, the signing of Hugh Darvish is funny because he's obviously a fine pitcher, but all of his stats are showing that he's in a decline. And he's had several very good seasons in his career, Obviously. And I think that his bad postseason showing last year is slightly exaggerated because he did pitch well against Arizona. He did pitch well against Chicago. He happened to get smacked around by Houston where he was evidently tipping his pitches. But he got signed by Chicago and they signed him for more years than he's had quality seasons in the majors. And he's already celebrated his 30th birthday. So you could say, okay, fine, they made that signing. Was it a good one? For the short term, yeah, probably. But it will be an albatross eventually. It will be an albatross. You know, I don't think it's absurd to say, you know what, the market for a Eric Hinsky, not Eric Hinsky, Jesus, God, what the heck is the matter with you, Sullivan? Eric Hosmer, not Eric Hinsky, Good Lord, I'm I'm skipping over myself. No, there are first basemen available. And ones who won't be asking for seven or eight years. And especially if you're a a team like the Royals or the Padres, who don't have the deepest pockets of the world, signing a first baseman to a seven or eight year deal may not be the smartest thing to do in the world. There are... Reasons why some of these players are not signed that have very little to do with whether or not there's a conspiracy going on. It could be the change of market. But with that being said, it is strange, and I will be flexible enough to say, well, it is a little odd that we're getting to spring training, players are breaking camp, and there are all these free agents still unsigned. And it does suck. If you're a player who's kind of caught in the middle, that a team would say, well, why would we spend $3 million on this when we can get a minor leaguer to do the same job? That does suck, and it will probably cost some people some careers. But another thing you may very well see happen is when you're going to see a bunch of injuries or slumps or things like that take place in spring training, it's going to make this sort of phantom spring training with all the unsigned free agents Look more and more appealing. Now I do think that you're gonna to start to see some the ice break a little bit. I think that Arietta is gonna sign pretty soon and eventually you know the twins and Brewers are gonna sign a pitcher. They both were in on Darvish and they're both gonna they're they're both gonna push their chips in the center of the table and make a move eventually, because they have to. Because this is a window of opportunity. And when you are a team like Minnesota and Milwaukee, where you don't have gigantic windows of opportunity, you have to make the, the push for it. And so, you know, look, I think Arrieta is actually going to wind up with Washington because they have a thing with uh, Scott Boris. And they also know that this is probably their last year with Bryce Harper. So they got to go for it big time. And I think that Lance Lynn... Personally, I think Lance Lynn is going to return to the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that's the the smartest place for him. I think that's the best fit for him. And I think Alex Cobb is going to wind up with either Minnesota or Milwaukee. And eventually, you're going to see next year there's going to be a lot of pressure to sign some of the big free agents because there will be bigger stars and bigger people available. And I just want to see some of these players, you know, J.D. Martinez is going to sign with the Red Sox eventually, and then things will all fall into place. You know what? It's funny. I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. I make no bones about it. And I'm a passionate Sox fan, and I really like this team. I like a lot of the players on this team. I like that they've built up homegrown players like Betts and Ben and Xander Bogarts and and all of them, and, and that, you know, Sale, I think, is a good fit. And, you know, I look at the team, and I think, you know what? You know, after back-to-back division titles, you know, only one win in the postseason, granted. You know, they had that heartbreaking loss to Houston in Game 4 in the rain. But I'm like, you know what? You got Raphael Devers, and we got a brand-new uh, manager, and hopefully you won't have a lot of the the, the drama going on behind the scenes. And I'm like, really, I'm excited for this Red Sox team. I truly am. I'm like, God, this is, you know, do I think that they're the favorites to win the pennant? No, I think the Astros should be the favorite to win the pennant. Uh, And I think both Cleveland and I think the Yankees are all going to have very good years. For the Yankees, it really depends on what kind of seasons they're going to get out of Tanaka and Sabathia and Severino. If they get good seasons out of all three of them. And out of their bullpen Well, then they may win 100 games If they don't get great performance out of them Then it may be a dogfight with the Red Sox But I'm looking at the Sox team Said, yeah, this is You know, a a high 80s Low 90 win team That could be even better If Price turns around and Porcello turns around Look at, I'm not even talking Getting Cy Young caliber Porcello And Cy Young caliber Price Just good Getting a good season out of Price, getting a good season out of Porcello is an improvement from what they had last year. So I'm sitting back and thinking like, and they got, you know, look it, God bless John Farrell. He was a coach on the 2007 World Champions. He managed the Boston Strong Red Sox. But it was time for a change, and we all saw that. We all saw, and you know, we'll never know all the stuff going on behind the scenes, but apparently was a mess and sometimes it's time to say goodbye. You know, you don't hang on to people for sentimentality. So they have Alex Cora. They got a new guy. We got a new kind of fresh outlook. We got a, uh, you know, it's it's a, a wholly different kind of manager that we've never seen with the Red Sox. This young, you know, analytics-minded, coming off of a World Championship season, as a coach for the. Uh, for the Astros, and, you know, we keep hearing all that, you know, he, his brother Joey, all these people who were supposed to be these great managerial candidates, Dave Martinez finally got a job, they're like, okay, now let's see him manage with the Red Sox. So there may be some growing pains, but it's exciting. And every time I talk to my Boston sports fans, or I listen to Boston sports fans, there's nothing but negativity about this Red Sox team that they're saying, oh, that that there's no excitement over it, that there's no, you know, they haven't made the right moves. And, yeah, it would be nice if they picked up J.D. Martinez to have a big slugger in the middle of the lineup. But I don't look at this team as being dead from the neck up. I mean, any team that you hand the ball to Chris Sale every five games you know is not going to go on a long losing streak. And there's, they've got the home kids, they got the homegrown kids on the team. But man, you just—the way that you hear it, it's like—it's nothing but neg- either negativity or indifference. And I and I just don't get it. Maybe I've been away from Massachusetts too long. Maybe away from New England, because remember, say for a few months in 1994, I haven't lived in New England since 1987. And back then, like the Patriots were an afterthought. It was the tail end of the Bird, you know, you know, dominance in basketball, and it was coming off of the Red Sox losing the '86 World Series. But it was still it was a it was a Larry Bird and Red Sox town. The Patriots were, uh, you know, as I said, a, a, an afterthought, and you know, the Bruins were kind of like the, the you know the diehard cult fan. And whenever I try to interact, you know, it's tough to do it from 3,000 miles away. But seeing that Boston is now a Patriots town, almost through and through, and that the passion for the Red Sox, I don't want to say it's because, you know, they they no longer have Curse of the Bambino, so you don't have that, that, um, you know, that angst behind them. It's just everyone's fascinated by the never-ending greatness and soap opera that is the Patriots. But the indifference is kind of blowing my mind. Yeah, the Yankees picked up Giancarlo Stanton. Was I under the uh, mistaken impression that the problem with the Yankees last year was they didn't hit enough homers? You know, Giancarlo Stanton plays 155 games for the first time in lord knows how many years almost every year he misses significant time from injury and they were already a big slugging team as i said yeah there's a chance if all the pitching clicks the yankees may win 100 games they had a wonderful season last year Is anyone going to think that they're going to get the season they got out of Sabathia that they got last year? Anyone think that Tanaka still isn't an injury risk every time he goes up there? Remember, he was dreadful the first half of the season. And yes, Severino was a Cy Young contender, but Rick Porcello was a Cy Young winner in 2016. Pitchers can come back to the mean. And... I'm sorry, I don't see the Yankees as a runaway team, and I don't see the Red Sox as being a doormat. There's going to be a bunch of those free agents who are available. And do you what one of the reasons why JD Martinez is having trouble getting his contract, because the Red Sox offered him a deal and no one else is stepping up. The Red Sox aren't aren't up in the ante. If he decides to go back to Arizona, there are other sluggers, there are other bats out there. And no, are they going to be as good as Giancarlo Stanton? No, of course not. Are they going to be the superstar that Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz were? Of course they're not. But what if they're good enough to just get the hits and get and drive in the runs and and you know, hit one in the gap while you have Benettendi and Betts on base? And you get the turnarounds from some of the other pitchers. There's a strong possibility here that the Picking the Red Sox to win 90-some-odd games this year isn't out of line. And they're doing so with a page totally turned from the 2004 team. It's a new cast, one which Dustin Pedroia is the elder statesman. And you got a new, fresh outlook on the team. And I look around, and all I see is negativity and acting like this is when they're, you know, the, the... You know, this is the the Jimmy Williams years. Like the Bobby Valentine's managing again. I've seen Red Sox teams that make you shrug. You know, lest we forget the dreadful Bobby Valentine season. Lest we forget 2014 and 2015 when the Red Sox were a shrug. We've seen shruggable Red Sox teams. We've seen Red Sox teams that have phoned it in. And I don't see that that's what this team is. And I'm getting excited for this club. I want to see this team do well. I think they're a likable bunch that may have the weight lifted from some of the behind-the-scenes drama that was going on. And besides, But you know, even with the behind-the-scenes drama, the team wound up winning back-to-back American League East divisions. Now, to be 100% fair... If I were a betting man, and I am not, I wouldn't pick the Red Sox to win the pennant. And if I were a betting man, I'm not, I probably would pick the Yankees to win the division. But not by a great margin. And certainly not a slam dunk. I think the American League is going to be won by either the Astros or the Indians. Why? I think the Astros are the best team. I think the Indians have a chip on their shoulder. And that they know that this is kind of the closing of the window of opportunity. So if there's any holes on this team, they're going to fill them in. I think the Yankees are building for a long-term, you know, uh, success. Eventually, this is a team that will probably win a pennant or two along the way. But I'm not giving them the crown. You know, this is one of the things when I realize that I'm a Red Sox fan and not a Boston fan. And that's a strange, strange thing to say for someone who's associated all of his sports fandom and sports identity over the years based upon my years living in the suburbs of Boston. I very easily could have been a Yankee fan if my family continued to live in Fairfield County. I was born in Connecticut, and my first memories were living in Fairfield County, which is closer to New York than it is to Boston. My high school years were spent in the San Francisco Bay Area when both the Giants and the A's were pennant winners. So I could very easily have dropped the Red Sox and picked up the Giants or picked up Oakland. And I lived in New York for 15 years. And for the last 10 years, or the last, what, 13 years actually, I've been living either in the Silicon Valley or Los Angeles County. So I feel very disconnected from Massachusetts and from New England as a sports fan. As disconnected as this spot I'm feeling is to the current incarnation of the Angels. I don't care about the Patriots. I watched the Super Bowl. I half-heartedly rooted for them. But when the Eagles wound up winning, I wound up shrugging. Good for the Eagles. I do like the Celtics. I like to see them win. But if they don't, I'm fine with it. I would like to see them win. I, the, the, the NBA is my second favorite sport. I have no knowledge or feel for the Bruins, and if I have any team that I would like to see win the Stanley Cup, it would probably be the San Jose Sharks. So I feel a real disconnect from Massachusetts and from Boston. I feel a real connection with the Red Sox. But I wonder if I would, you know, I, I, you know, I visited Boston a couple of years ago, and I, and I really loved going back to, my old hometown and going around the city, but it, does, it did feel like a place that I don't have a tremendous connection to, save for the memories of growing up. And if the fan base is not looking at this team and seeing, hey, young players, homegrown players, players who are our own, you're not going to embrace this team? Why? Why not? You know, I've seen teams that have been cobbled together with pieces from other from other franchises that have wound up making the postseason. Hell, the two thousand fourteen, the one we all know, love, hold to our bosom, was basically a bunch of mercenaries. This is a homegrown group. The twenty thirteen Boston Strong group were a bunch of guys who were, you know, only spent one or two seasons there. Why not embrace this one? Look at this This is the first Group of players We've had Where you have Whole chunks Of the infield And outfield And lineup That are Red Sox Or developed Through the farm And have a chance To You know A couple of them Have had Experience in the In the 2016 Playoffs Or 2017 Playoffs And maybe It's like Okay Okay Now We're warming up For the big one What I'm saying is this My fellow Red Sox fans I know a lot of you Spend the majority of your time Wearing your Brady jerseys And and feeling connection with that I get it, I understand The Patriots won their first Super Bowl When there still was a curse of the Bambino going on And it's still the same coach and quarterback Now that that entire team has been dismantled I get it. There's a whole gen... I, I can't even fathom Boston being a football town, which it is. It just seems bizarre to me, but it is. And there is that connection you can have with this team. To be there. To root for them. To feel connection with Ben Attendi and, and, and Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers and all the players who are being, you know, pieced together... As real Red Sox, and you can look up if they go on. If this group winds up winning a pennant, whether it's this year or next or whenever, to be able to say, "Yeah, it's a homegrown group of people," went to the playoffs a few times, pick up a pennant along the way. Embrace this team. You know, dust yourself off that the you know the the Patriots what they win their what sixth Super Bowl. Dust yourself off and realize. Wait a minute. The Red Sox can be kind of fun. And they're not the big old bullies. They're not the big old super spenders. They're not plucking players away from other teams. These are real Red Sox. And they've had some success recently. Maybe not. And I love that I can say, you know, we went through generations of wondering, are we ever going to see them win a World Series? They won one five years ago. Five, And hit some rough spots And are now back being a contender again And I look around and all I see is negativity And maybe It's the California sun Maybe it's the day after Valentine's Day That I can stand outside here on the site That used to be the home of the angels On a beautiful sunny day That makes me say Huh I don't see where the negativity is coming from. I don't see why that's default. I can understand why you would want them to improve the team more, but maybe, just maybe, the change in management, the change of Farrell to Cora, maybe that's a step in the right direction right there. Maybe that relieves a cloud. I don't know, but come on. We're all Red Sox fans. Let's embrace this team. I think this could be a fun, fun year. Don't be mopey and don't focus on what they aren't. Because what they are is kind of fun. And if they wind up winning a division, and if they wind up winning a pennant, and if they wind up doing stuff we're not expecting them to do, And we've seen some teams get to the World Series recently with teams that you expect, you know, like the Cubs in 2016. That team was built to win the World Series. They did. The Astros and the Dodgers were both 100-win teams. I get it. But if they wind up pulling off what the Royals and Mets did a few years ago, the Royals and Giants did a few years before that, don't you want to be in on the ground floor? Come on. This is going to be a fun year, Red Sox fans, and, and for the people listening here, I swear I'm not going to just be talking about the Red Sox. This is one of my, the, the first real deep dives into the Red Sox. I've done in a while. Hell, we did an hour on the Nationals last week, so I, you know, calm down. People think I only talk about the Sox. There's stuff to root for, there's quality players, and oh yeah, they're the back-to-back division winners. Did they pick up Giancarlo Stanton? No, but I did a whole podcast last summer saying I don't want him. He's injury prone in his 20s. What's he gonna be like eight or nine years from now? And I stand by that. I completely stand by that. There's a lot going on with Boston, especially if some of the pitching that was mediocre last year just becomes good. I think it's a 92-93 win team. Is that enough to win the division? Probably not, but it's enough to have a fun year. And in the end, isn't that the point? So come on. There's plenty of unsigned free agents, and the Red Sox could wind up filling some holes on the cheap. Is that collusion? I don't think so. But even if it is, if it means another pennant, I'm all for it. That's not true. I'm not all for collusion. Knock it off. I'm just being goofy. All right. Well, we're going to talk about some other teams right now, but I wanted to give the Red Sox and my fellow Sox fans a little bit of a pep talk. There's positivity in them there, hills. Let's embrace them. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, an so iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kalisky. From the Gilbert Lindsay Park, one-time home of the Los Angeles Angels, and currently home of a guy who's about to go skateboarding and another kid by a water fountain. This has been the Sully Baseball for the 15th day of February 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.